0: I think this is such an important series for us, so thanks for being here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online again, too. We kicked this off last weekend on Easter, and uh, I know a bunch of you were here. Does anyone remember what we talked about last week? Other than, you know, the obvious Jesus rose, but, I mean, specifically remember what we talked about? Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, you guys remember. You get a gold star. We talked about bridges. Uh, we talked about Jesus' work in terms of bridge building, that God was reconciling us to himself, and that's what, that's what uh, Good Friday, that's what Easter are all about. Now, I don't know about you, um, for those of you who remember, uh, remembered, uh, this whole week I've been looking at bridges differently, I've been noticing them, first of all, more often as I'm driving around, i just like, oh yeah, I just take notice of bridges and appreciate them more. Um, I've also just been uh, noticing more of the details about them and just uh, being, I was reminded again just how difficult bridge building is, how, uh, how important, but how difficult it is, and that became painfully um, apparent to me as early as Sunday afternoon, the, the very day of Easter, how difficult bridge building can be. Do you guys remember that moment um, on Sunday afternoon when like the cold front moved in and the sky got dark and you're like, is it really Easter and this is happening? Does anyone remember that? Yeah. I think that might have been my fault. Um, let me explain to you what happened. We were at brunch as a family and we were having, you know, a good time, good conversation and I was talking to my wife, Jocelyn, and I, and I, said, I said something. I'm not even sure what it is that I said, but I said something and, and I, I knew I said something wrong because immediately everything got cold, you know in the room and then I look outside and I'm like the clouds are gathering and I just feel like "Uh uh-oh I don't know what I said you've had moments like that in life I take it yeah yeah I think a lot of us have and I thought man I don't know what I said but but here's what I thought next I thought it's Easter I've been working my tail off I'm tired I don't have energy for this I'm I'm just whatever she can you know she can deal with it she can get over it and uh and so we you know we politely finish brunch we go home we go to separate parts of the house um and I'm just thinking again. Like I'm, I'm tired. We're not, we're not dealing with this. I, I, I don't have the energy. That's not fair. I've had a really long, uh, a really long, a really long week. And, and, uh, and you know, she'll get over it. It'll blow over. And, and then I look outside, and it's like hailing and snowing. And I'm going like frozen, right, like Elsa's mad or something, and, um, and so I'm like, this, this, is not just gonna, this is not just gonna blow over, and I started feeling a little bit like a hypocrite because I talked about bridge building all weekend, and, and, and here's this rift that I'm not willing to, to, to uh, try to bridge, and meanwhile, this is my wife, eventually we have, to, we have to patch this up, so I finally got the strength and the energy and the courage to go um, sit across from her in our living room and roll up my sleeves and begin the intensive work of bridge building, it's tiring, and I was reminded of it all this last week. But but what about what about in those those with those rifts where you don't technically have to build a bridge? What about when there is a rift that exists, but that rift isn't with someone in your household, in your family. It's not someone in your neighborhood, in your your community, like your workplace or your school place. It's not someone, it's not even someone, the rift isn't even with someone that you have to see or face or interact with on a regular basis. In those cases where there's a rift, but it's not someone you even have to regularly interact with, I think a lot of us would ask the question, is there even a problem here? Because meanwhile... Um, I've got enough to deal with in the rest of my life. I've got all of these other relationships to to maintain and and bridges to build in those relationships. Who has time to go looking for more bridges to build with people who aren't even staring at me in the face? And if those people have time for that, like whoever has time for that, maybe they should get a life. They should find things to do because I know I don't have time for that. And I, I think I'm probably not the only one who feels that way. And yet if we look at Jesus as our model of what it looks like to, to be devoted to bridge building, um, then we'll see that Jesus has a different answer to all of this. Because Jesus, he also had a full plate during his entire ministry. Jesus was sent to a very needy people, a uh, people at a very needy time in their history. Uh, the, the people of Israel in the days of Jesus, they were so oppressed and afflicted. They were, they were hungry. Many of them were literally starving. They, they could not make a living. They could not feed their families. And then there were many of them who were sick and there wasn't good health care. And, and people were near death from sickness. And, and there were people who were oppressed by not just bad government, but they were oppressed by demonic things. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, he has people constantly coming to him begging him for food and for healing and for deliverance and and there are times where Jesus he's trying to pray in the morning and he's off in a solitary place and people come and they find him and they're begging for his help and and there are other times where he just has to get away and so he he in order to do this he gets out on a fishing boat and pushes off from the shore and is like see ya you know like this is the only way he can get a buffer from people for for a little while and then, and then it's not just the crowds, but there are all of these leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, teachers of the law, like all these different um, uh, leadership groups who are, who are also barraging Jesus all the time, peppering him with questions, trying to trap him, trying to trick him. And so Jesus is, is constantly being um, just, people are coming at him from every direction and, and, uh, and, and he's, he's got plenty going. His plate is so full, he's got plenty to do. Which is why what he does in John chapter 4 is so surprising to me. Someone who also feels like I've got a full plate and a lot coming at me. We're going to look at John chapter 4 today. And uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you're here in the room, to take out a Bible. Go to page 1065. Here's why. John chapter 4 is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. We're going to cover a lot. Um, a lot more than usual. There are some great moments that I'll just kind of have to nod to and then move on to keep this from being too long to keep you here, 70 minutes total. Um, and so, uh, but I think it'll help you stay a little more rooted in the narrative if you have a Bible open in front of you. So I'd encourage you to do that. Those who are at home or elsewhere, you can follow along also on the screen. So Jesus, incredibly full plate, incredibly full plate. That's what I want you to think about. It says this, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees, I told you about them, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And that's saying something, that he's baptizing more disciples than John, because John's name was John the... Yeah, so if you're baptizing more than the guy who's named the Baptist, then you're probably doing pretty well. Uh, and it's getting the Pharisees' attention in a negative way. They're threatened by this. It says, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So the Pharisees are upset, and Jesus heads out of town. He's like, I, I, you know, I've got I to allow them to cool off. It's not time for them to kill me yet. So he's getting out of town. But far from being a sabbatical, here um, he does something interesting. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, I think this statement is only partially true. Uh, what is true about it is that if you look at a map, we have one here. If you look at a map, uh, you see down here Judea. This is part of um, ancient Israel, or what was ancient Israel. And you can see the capital is uh, Jerusalem. This is where the temple is. This is a very important city. This is where the Pharisees are. This is where Jesus is spending a lot of his time in and around Jerusalem. This is a dangerous place. And then you can see that he he's wants to go up to Galilee. Nazareth is where he's from. This is also kind of part of Jewish territory, Galilee. So you see these two places, Galilee, Judea. He's getting out of here. And you see right in the middle is Uh, If you can read that, it's Samaria. Samaria. So in one sense, yeah, it's, it's right that if you're going from Jerusalem, maybe up to Nazareth, you have to go through Samaria. Except what's not true about that is that most Jewish people decided not to go through Samaria, even though it's right in the middle. Instead, they would come up. They'd kind of go along the border. They would cross the river, the Jordan River. They would go up through this territory. They'd cross the river again into Galilee. They would take an enormous detour to avoid going through Samaria. And here's why. The Samaritans were people who were religiously um, impure. They had allowed other religions to, to kind of uh, dilute their belief. They had some common roots, um, but, but their religion had gotten very kind of murky. They, they had some weird things theologically. Not only that, but they were, they were very mixed ethnic people. And so other people had come in through different wars and deportations. And so these people were no longer like purebred Jewish people. And, and so, so Jews didn't like Samaritans. They didn't associate with Samaritans. If you were going from Jerusalem to someplace like Nazareth, you would walk all the way around Samaria. So the idea that Jesus had to go through Samaria, maybe maybe there's something going on we don't know about. Maybe the river's flooded. Maybe the Pharisees are camped out right here, ready to set a trap for him. We don't know. But But I'll tell you, this feels to me more like an intentional choice Jesus is making than a have to kind of thing. It, it feels to me, and as we go further, you'll see this too, it feels to me like Jesus is intentionally making a decision to deal with some business in Samaria. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It was on the map. should have pointed it out. Oh, well. Um, a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well It was about noon. So it's the heat of the day. Jesus is tired from his journey. He plops down by this well. And this is not just any ordinary well. This is Jacob's well. In fact, if you go to the Holy Land today, you can visit Jacob's well. Um, There's a cathedral built around it. I think it's an Orthodox cathedral uh, where you can see the well that they believe was Jacob's well, a very important thing. But, But this is also a symbolically important place. See, Jacob was the father of the entire nation of Israel, he even had his name change. We talked about this a few weeks ago, from Jacob to Israel. And so um, Jacob is this common ancestor, and his son Joseph was one of, the, one of the people who became leaders of the 12 tribes, we call them, and, and, uh, and, and so this, this site, this well of Jacob, this plot of ground, it takes, it takes Jesus and, and everyone who's gathered there back to this time when Jews and Samaritans didn't hate each other. They were part of one family. They were part of one big uh, nation. Before centuries of division and conflict had had, messed with their nations and religious influence had come in and and made their religion impure, it goes back to this time when when they were part of one family where Jacob was the father of all of them. And it's at this very um, important historic place that Jesus has an important conversation says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now there's so much wrong with this sentence, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. For starters, um, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. I just told you that. So uh, the fact that Jesus starts a conversation with a Samaritan is bad. The fact that it's a Samaritan woman is even worse because Jewish men didn't really have polite conversation with women. There was a lot of division between men and women. Not only that though, and this is a little more implicit here, it's the heat of the day. No one draws water in the heat of the day unless you're hiding something. So here is a Samaritan woman who's hiding something, who comes out to this well, and Jesus begins to have a conversation with her. Not only does he have a conversation with her, but he he makes a request. He says, will you give me a drink? Now again, if you're a Jewish person at this time, you know that you don't drink from the vessels of an unclean person. You don't drink out of a Samaritan's jar, because that'll make you unclean culturally. And I don't know why this is, that you know drinking out of different vessels is such a big deal, but you can go back to Jim Crow South for a minute, and, you, and you can, you, if you can see the pictures in your mind... Never saw it myself personally, but you know, in in, in uh, newsreels or whatever, of the whites-only water fountain and the coloreds water fountain, and you didn't drink out of either one; it wasn't okay. You could get in trouble if you drank out of the wrong one. See, that's what's going on here. And so Jesus, sitting there by this well in this in this forbidden place that Jewish people didn't go through. And he starts up a conversation with a Samaritan woman who's hiding something, who's got a past. And he asks her for a drink of water out of her vessel. And everything just seems to be crazy and wrong about all this. And what's wild is the Samaritan woman, she realizes that this is crazy. This is not how things go. She's lived under this prejudice, hatred, her entire life. And so she's, she's going to school Jesus on why everything he just asked for is not okay. Um, it says, the Samaritan woman said, and I, I don't know if you've seen the movie, uh, The Color Purple, or I just saw the, the musical recently. And, um, and I was reminded, like, I used to think of this, and Pua Kaufman, who's on our staff, one of our student ministry directors helped me see this. I used to see this woman kind of like a Sealy, you know, this meat character, like, oh, excuse me, sir, let me just explain this to you. Um, I, I, after I read, read this again this week, I kind of started to see her more like a Sophia. That's the character that Oprah played. Like Sophia, she was feisty. And I I see some fight in this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, Let me just help you understand why what you just said is not okay. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. So, how can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's a good question. Now, what, what is Jesus doing? Either he's really, really thirsty because it's the heat of the day and he's been traveling and he knows no one else is going to come and so here's his chance, so I've got to make do with what I, what I can. Or, or maybe Jesus is, is doing something that's so important if you're going to be a bridge builder, and that is he's making himself vulnerable. So often when we try to reconcile with people, we come from a position of strength. You know, how can I help you? Here, receive my help. Interesting that Jesus, sitting there, asks this woman who, you know, for most of the cultural laws of the day, he would be seen as superior to her. Uh, He asks her. He puts himself in a position of humility, of vulnerability to ask her for help. Um, Whatever it is, this woman goes, hey, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know how this goes. It doesn't work this way. And look what Jesus says. He says, "Uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink— You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So apparently Jesus isn't just thirsty. You know, he's got this living water. Uh, But he turns this whole thing around. He goes on, and he says, uh, sorry, she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? The one who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock, who, by the way, lived over a thousand years ago, and this well is still producing water. Are you better than that guy? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I, I love how the tables turn. Now, Jesus started with a request, and pretty soon he's making an offer. And I love this offer. I, 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 could just, I could spend the rest of our time just talking about this. Because I think Jesus is talking about an experience that we all know all too well. I think we all know what it is to be thirsty, don't we? And, and specifically, we know what it's like to have a deep soul thirst, and we know, we know the wells that we tend to go to when we are experiencing that deep soul thirst that we hope will quench our thirst, that, that will satisfy us, that, that will make us feel okay, and uh, we also know that sometimes that works, but it's always limited. Sometimes we walk away from those wells, and we come back, and we're thirstier than when we started from, or from where we started from. And and so we're well-versed in how this whole thing works, of of having a soul thirst and trying to satisfy it, trying to quench that thirst, and not finding the thing that can ever satisfy it, but sometimes stumbling into things that actually make us even thirstier, that leave us worse than when we started. We get that. And so Jesus describes that he's got this living water that will finally quench our soul thirst. Not only will it quench our soul thirst and satisfy us, but it will become in us a spring welling up to life Life for us, but life for others. That's a profound offer. And again, I I could spend the rest of our time just just talking to you about this and and, and begging you and pleading you to open yourself up to receiving this. We could spend time praying and asking for this because I believe we need it. But but, but what I don't want to do is I don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture of what's going on here. That here you have Jesus in this forbidden place talking to a woman he should not be talking to Uh, making a request and making an offer to her that that should not be happening. And and he's there because he's building a bridge. He's doing this really, really important work, even though his plate is so full back in Judea. And and where he's going in Galilee, it's even even fuller. But he's there uh, because there's a rift. There's a a bridge that needs to be built. There's a rift that needs to be healed. Um, So he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Now, I hate in conversation when I I stumble into moments like this. You know, like you you say something, oh, yeah, how's your husband? Well, I'm not married. You know, you're like, oh, uh, shoot. Um, I I stumble into these moments a lot. I don't know if it's because I have a bad memory or because I talk too much or I'm thoughtless. It could be any of those things. Uh, But I experience these things often. Uh, Like the time my, my wife's sister was in town visiting us for Christmas And she brought with her her new fiance. And uh, two times in one night, I called him by her ex-boyfriend's name. (laughs) You should have seen my wife look at me the second time I did it. She was like, (sighs) and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. It just kept coming out. Or, or, uh, Or even worse, there was a time in college, back in college there was this I don't know if it was just our college, if it was like a whole cultural thing, Um, but someone would say something to you, and and just to be annoying, you'd answer, your mom, your mom, and you'd say that all the time, and uh, there was a girl who said something to me, and uh, and before I could really process what I was saying, I said, your mom, And, and then as I was saying those words, I remembered that she had just lost her mom tragically a couple of weeks before yeah, those are words you want to take back, right? And so um, in, in these conversations with people that maybe there's some rifts, there's some awkwardness, there's some difcomf- discomfort, often we, we can say things that are, that are awkward, and yet far from just being a faux pas here, Jesus is digging at something that's going to be really important for his whole reason for being there. So he asked her about her, her uh, husband, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband, Next one. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, it may seem like Jesus is uh, is trying to shame this woman, but I don't think that's it at all. See, I think I think there's a problem with all of us when it comes to um, that gets in the way of our reconciliation, and that is some of us we think too little of our sin. We just think too little of our sin. Uh, for some of us, you know, we, we try to downplay the impact that our actions have on the people around us, and we, we won't fully own the hurt and the pain that we cause to people around us. Sometimes that's because the hurt and the pain that we cause isn't so obvious, it's, it's more of a sin against the world or culture or creation. And, and, and I think some of us, if we're, if, if, if we're kind of prone to this, while we're making too little of our sin, what happens is the pain and the hurt that we are causing, that we are not owning, gets in the way of our reconciliation. It really gets in the way of those bridges that are, that are in need of being built between us and the people that we've hurt. And then there are some of us who, our problem isn't that we make too little of our sin. There's some of us who our problem is we make too much of our sin. And we imagine that because of our sin, we are unlovable, we are unworthy, we isolate ourselves, we run away and we hide in shame. We we imagine that no one, no person could ever love us, let uh, let alone no God could ever love us. Now, I don't know which was the greater problem for this woman. I have a hunch, but I don't know for sure if she was someone who made too little of her sin or too much of her sin. I don't know what your tendency is here and and maybe you, you, you experience both at any given time. See, Jesus is not being insensitive here. What he's doing is is he's digging into an issue in her life that is keeping her from experiencing the reconciliation she needs, either because she's making too little of it and not acknowledging the weight and the pain of it, or she's making too much of it, and so she's, she's hiding. She's refusing to receive God's hand of grace. Jesus is digging into it, and I want you to see the woman's response. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet, Because I don't know how you would know that otherwise. Let me ask you, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain here in Samaria, but you Jews claim that the place we have to worship is Jerusalem down in Judea. Now, either this is an epic, like, dodge the bullet, change the subject kind of maneuver, or this woman is, is getting to the heart of the division. See, so much of this divide between Jew and Samaritan had been about worship how to worship the right way, where to worship, what's the right place. And, and, and it seems kind of unbelievable that that would become such a tension, except we're still fighting those tensions today, right? I still get letters and emails, people who are like frustrated or upset about, about, about how we worship and where we worship and, the, you know, the way that we do worship. And, and so this is a pretty serious issue that she's, she's like, hey, you know a lot of things. Can you set the record straight? Can you, can you help bring us together on this whole thing? Where do we worship? Look at Jesus' answer. Uh, woman. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, if Jesus said these words back in Jerusalem, his ministry would have been that much shorter. Because they would have dragged him outside of the city, picked up stones, and killed him right then. Because the place and how you worship was everything to Jewish people. And yet Jesus says, you know what? It's not about the place. It's not even about the manner. It's not about the songs you sing. It's not about the place you're standing. Not about the sacrifices you make. What the Father's looking for, and again, we could say so much about this, what the Father's looking for are people who come to him with the right focus and the right approach. They come to him in the Spirit and in truth. It's a powerful thing for us to just grab onto today, that that's what God cares about. There's no right or wrong way. Just come in the power of the Holy Spirit and in truth. But, but, but I think Jesus is saying something deeper here because he is the one Bore the Spirit like no one else, full of the Spirit. And, uh, and Jesus was also truth incarnate, truth that put on flesh. And so I think part of what Jesus is saying here is hey, there's a time coming and it's now come because I'm here that worshipers, the way they'll access the Father is through me, the, the one who bears the Spirit, the one who is the truth. And, and I say that because I think the woman is reading between the lines. She's sharp and she picks this up because she goes, I know the Messiah. Uh, that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Like, like I know there's one who's coming who will lead us back to the Father. Then Jesus declared, "I, the one speaking to you, I am He." Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, "What do you want?" or "Why are you talking?" With her, So Jesus just reveals to this woman that he's the Messiah. He had not done this in Jerusalem. He had not done this to, to any, of the, any of the Jews. He, he just says plainly, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm the one who's going to lead you to the Father. You're going to worship now through me. The disciples come onto the scene. They see this whole thing happening and they're like, what is Jesus doing? First of all, why did he have us take this direct route through Samaria? We don't do that. But he's talking to this woman, and she's a Samaritan, and it's the heat of the day, so she must have something to hide. What on earth is going on here? And they don't understand. They don't see that Jesus is there to build a bridge. So, so they come onto the scene. The woman takes the opportunity to, to, you know, go back to the town. She goes back to the town, and she starts telling everybody about this man that she just met out by Jacob's well and uh, I want to show you how this ends. Um, pretty soon, the whole town comes out because they've got to see this, this guy, this prophet who is there, and, uh, and look what happens. Look how this whole thing concludes. We're going to jump into verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Here's her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Now, this is Jesus who's got a hugely full plate, just dealing with all the bridges that need to be built back in Jerusalem, up in Galilee, and yet he's staying with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Not, not just Messiah, not just Christ. We know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Jesus never had that reaction back in Jerusalem. And and we're beginning to see what this whole crazy trip is about, why Jesus decided to take a walk through the heart of Samaria. See, first and foremost, God's priority, first priority, always, always, is to reconcile people to himself, all people. Not just the people sitting here streaming, uh, not just people who identify as Christian or were raised that way, um, not just Anglo people, right, right? God's primary work, his foremost commitment is to reconcile as many people as possible to himself, to bring them into a relationship. And we see that happening. People going, we now know that this man really is the savior of the world. They put their trust in him. And and in that moment, God reconciles this people, these Samaritans who've been kind of confused about worship and religion and everything else. He reconciles this whole town to himself. But that's not the only reason Jesus was there that day. See, Jesus was not there just to build a bridge between God and the Samaritan people. He was also there to begin to build a bridge between the Samaritans and the Jews. Now, again, I know in our lives, just keeping the peace in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces is a full-time job. I get that. And so when something like Ferguson happens or Charlottesville happens or, or there's a big discrepancy about the national anthem and what you're supposed to do, and when that stuff happens, I, I don't know about you, but, but here's what I, what I do, just speaking personally, I go, ah, oh, there it is again. But my plate is already so full. Let me, let, me just, let me just do what I can do over here. I don't know that I can do anything about any of that stuff. Or um, closer to home. I was speaking with uh, one of our volunteers a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she's one of my favorite volunteers. I have favorites. Um, and, uh, and the reason she's one of my favorites is she's just, she's so willing to serve whenever we need her. She, she's here. She just, and she has such joy. She has such a gentleness in her spirit, such a love for Jesus and for people. And she's just, she's amazing to work with, amazing to be around. And I, I was talking to her and she was just sharing with me a little bit about her life and she was talking about how sometimes in her neighborhood she, she experiences here, I mean here in, in this community, in her neighborhood she experiences um, what I would call harassment of just neighbors not treating her very kindly, not, not, very, uh, not very respectfully. And she says, I know the reason they do it, it's because I'm brown. And she's from another culture. And see, I, I hear that stuff and uh, my heart hurts and I go, that's, that's not good, that's not how it's supposed to be but my plate is full with all the things I'm responsible for, for maintaining all the bridges I'm, I'm supposed to build and, and besides these divides are deep they're historic they're, they're vast what, in, what, what am I supposed to do and so what I do I don't know what you do but what I tend to do is I tend to say well I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pull in here and I'm gonna affect what I can affect and I just kind of live as an island well maybe maybe, this, maybe we can just make it good here but, but here's the truth here's why we, we can't ignore those rifts beyond our household beyond our communities those bigger rifts that, that surface from time to time is because we can't thrive as islands. We can't. We can try to make it as good here as possible, but eventually the whole thing, we, we, we rise and we fall together. That's true. Uh, just give you an example. Um, I live in Baldwin, Missouri, one of the safest cities in America year after year. And yet when I invite people, I'm not from St. Louis originally, when I invite people um, who aren't from St. Louis or haven't been here before to come and visit St. Louis, you know the reaction I get a lot because of our reputation? <laughs> people going, is it safe? You ever get that? You're native St. Louisans maybe, I'll tell you, you get it. Go, is it safe? Now here's what's crazy. Some of these people are from Detroit. I kid you not. And uh, I've been able to convince some of them to come. And they come and they're like, man, I mean, yeah, we get you kind of live out. But, but St. Louis is a great city. I didn't know that. It's an amazing, amazing city. And, and we can look at that and we can blame, like, yeah, why do we get all the bad PR and, and the news media it's so negative? We can talk about all of that. But it just goes to show that, that even, though, even though we're thriving in parts of our community, we, together we, we, can't, we, we can't ignore the rifts and thrive together. And, and here's what I want you to think about. If, if there's an upcoming CEO of a new company or a, built, uh, you know, a booming company who's going to open up a new headquarters, do you think she's really going to convince her staff people to move their families to a community that's known as the murder capital, that's known for Ferguson and racial division and tension? Do, do you think we're ever going to be a place that person's going to look to and go, that looks like a great place to move our people. Let's, let's go there. See, we can make this good in our little parts of the world, but if we ignore those bigger divisions, we can't thrive doing the island thing. Not only that, the other reason that we, we have to pay attention to the bigger divisions, even though our plates are full, is that bridge building, it will change you. And, and I don't know about you, but that's why I'm here. For life change. For growth. See, if you're just here to get to heaven, you probably already checked that box and you can just take the rest of your life off. You don't have to come to church anymore. I mean, if, if that's all you're after, it's probably done. Jesus did that for you on the cross. Just trust in him, you're good. See, see that's not why I'm here. I don't know why you're here, but, but I'm here because I want to be changed. I, I want to grow. I want to become more like Jesus. Not because that's like a pious thing to say, but because I believe it must be awesome to be like Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus lived his life and, and he was so full he was he was so full of life and abundance and peace and confidence of who he was and what his mission was that even when people spit at him and they beat him and they flogged him and they took him out and they put him on a cross, he was forgiving them And I don't know about you, but I could use more of that in my life. Less fear, less retaliation, less anger, less hostility, less, you know, all the things that my life is. I could use more of that fullness that enables me to be steady and even and at peace, even when the world is against me. See, that's why I think it must be awesome to be like Jesus. And and when we do this work of building bridges, we will become more like Jesus. But still, right? Still, these divides. When you start talking about race in St. Louis or race anywhere in America, it's huge. These divides are so big and they're so deep and they're so old. What can I possibly do? I'll tell you what you can do. You can do the exact same thing that Jesus did. You can get near. It's the same thing I did Sunday afternoon, Easter Sunday afternoon. It's snowing, and I'm going to go out to the living room, and I sit across from my wife because I can't do it from the other room. I sit across. I look at her in the eyes, and I say, are you okay? And she tells me how how she's not okay, and we have to do the hard work of that. You get near. It's the same thing Jesus did, saying, I'm going to walk straight through the heart of Samaria, and I'm going to sit down by this well outside of the town of Sychar, In fact, it's the same thing that Jesus did when he decided to put on flesh and come and walk our soil. He he didn't reconcile us from heaven. He, He came first to build a bridge. He got near. It doesn't start with going to Facebook and ranting. Doesn't start with creating a GoFundMe page from the comfort and safety of your living room. See, if, if you want to be a bridge builder, if if you recognize the need to heal these divides, the first step, you're not better than Jesus. I'm not either. So why try to do this any other way? The first step is that we get near. And I would only add to that this. We get near and then we stay put. <laughs> Because you know what it's like, you step out there and, and, and suddenly there's some blowback or there's some recoil because there's, there's tension in these rifts. And we saw between Jesus and this Samaritan woman, there was some sparring back and forth and it can be so easy to get offended or to recoil or to be like, I think I said the wrong thing and to run back to our own little islands. And, and yet, here's what I can promise you, that if we're willing to do what Jesus did, to get near. And to stay put and endure the discomfort, endure the, the awkwardness, endure some of the blowback. If we're willing just to stay near, and, and, and uh, to get put rather, and stay near, then you'll be amazed how bridges of understanding and empathy and compassion begin to take shape over really old, historic, big rifts. See, if we're willing to do this, and we can all do this, And and to be sure, there's more to do than this, But, but if we can just start here, if we can do this, if we can get near and stay put, we'll start to see some of the greatest divides that our world knows of right now. This is how all the great bridge builders do it. We'll see some of those divides coming together. And so, right now, here's what I want you to do I want you to think of that rift that you've been avoiding. And uh, I want you to think today. And, and maybe God's already been prompting you, but right now I want you to intentionally think for a moment. To whom is God calling me to get near? Uh, maybe there's been a name or a face. It's a friend or a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor or a former friend. And, you know, when you see them, you just kind of like, you know, duck down the, the other way and you just, you just avoid them rather than dealing with the discomfort of whatever that rift is you, you've, you've, you've taken the island mentality or maybe it's not a someone maybe it's, maybe it's someones maybe it's a whole group of people people who look different or from a different culture or people who live in a different place or people who vote differently I don't know who it is for you but today I want you to, I want you to just be open to God's prompting on uh, who who is it that he's calling you to get near? In fact, I want to pray that God would direct this thing because I believe it's so important. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for always being willing to get near us, for sending your son to step into our mess. And Father, beyond what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, I thank you that every day you're willing to step into my mess. That you see my anger, my hatred, my jealousy, my envy, my lust, my all the the entire list. And you step in. You get near me every day. Thank you. I know how life-changing that is for me to experience you and to know that. You don't distance yourself from me. You don't leave me flailing over here, but you're willing to get near. Father, I ask... That, in light of that, because of that, you'd bring to mind for every one of us here a person, persons, a name of someone that you are right now calling us to get near to. And Father, if you're, you're not going to speak it today, speak it over us this week and then give us the courage to take a step to get near, not needing a 10-point plan, not needing to know how it's all going to go, but just give us the courage to take a detour maybe to or to stop avoiding and just to get near and have a conversation. Father, I believe and I know and I see throughout time how you've built bridges by that simple act. I pray that you would begin to do that through us today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.